0: Thank you for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. If you're a fan of the show, we're pretty confident you'll be a fan of our in-person events. Our team is currently hard at work planning our 2024 Creative Careers in Medicine conference, which will be held Saturday, March 9th and Sunday, March 10th at Novatel Brighton Beach, Sydney. This year, we're exploring the future of healthcare with the theme, Meet Me in the Metaverse. We'll bring together speakers and delegates from all walks of medicine in a weekend that's set to inspire and excite you. We promise this won't be your typical medical conference. You can find out more about the event on our website, which is creativecareersinmedicine.com, or on our socials, which are all linked in the show notes below. We hope to see you in the metaverse. Hello,
1: happy new year. Possibly a bit late, um, but it's great to be back in 2020 for a new year of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey, and in this series, we talk to doctors about all the fascinating and inspiring things they're doing in and alongside their medical careers as they forge their own creative paths. In this episode, lucky number episode 13, uh, but our first of the year, our guest is Dr. Michaela Seymour. You know, This interview was actually recorded a few months ago at the CCAM conference on the Gold Coast, but it's a timely one to kick off the year with because as she announced just last week on LinkedIn, uh, this year she'll be making the huge step of actually pausing her general surgery work. Uh, in order to move to Papua New Guinea to work in Balamo, Western Province. Uh, Michaela has a long history of involvement in foreign aid work, both in terms of spending time in some of the remotest areas of PNG, providing health care, but also mentoring other junior doctors entering the same program uh, that's taken her into those jungles. Writing about her aims in taking on her latest challenge, McKellar explained that she'll be volunteering with Australian Doctors International and conducting aerial patrols to visit some of the most rural and isolated people in that part of the world whose villages are only accessible via plane or, you know, multiple weeks' worth of walking. Um, She'll be mainly focused on primary healthcare, epidemiology and the training and support of PNG healthcare workers. As you'll hear in our conversation, the areas she's working in... um, known for some of the highest rates of multi-drug resistant tuberculosis in the world so i'm sure we'll all wish her the very best in her uh, efforts i should say to help these isolated communities while Michaela remains committed to her career in general surgery she wrote in her post that she sees this as an opportunity to further broaden her experience and understanding of rural health uh, resource management and medicine more holistically and of course um, she believes it'll help make her a better surgeon in the future in this interview with the, recorded back in August last year, she explained what it was about foreign aid work that she found so attractive as a junior doctor, uh, her role as a mentor to those coming through in the training system behind her, and also her parallel role as an Army Reservist Medical Officer. This episode of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast is brought to you by The Private Practice. The Private Practice provides business and financial education and training for healthcare professionals at each stage of your professional and personal life, whether you're transitioning into private practice, seeking strategies for growth, or planning a successful succession or retirement. To find out more, just visit theprivatepractice.com.au. Now, before we get to my chat with Michaela, I just quickly want to give a huge thanks on behalf of of everyone at CCIM to all the doctors and health professionals as well as all those out there in the community who in whatever capacity have been involved in the huge response to Australia's unprecedented catastrophic bushfires uh, that we've been experiencing this summer. And of course, I'd like to extend our best wishes to all those who may have lost property or loved ones during this national emergency. If you'd like to get involved in the medical response to the bushfires, Amandeep has been posting links on the CCIM Facebook page where you can sign up with organizations to lend your expertise uh, where it's most needed. So I'd urge you to go and check that out if that's something you are able to to, to be a part of. Anyway, on that note, on to my chat with Dr. Michaela Seymour. I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Michaela Seymour, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, no
0: dramas. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Now, you've referred to yourself in the past as an accidental doctor, at least that's the, the, the headline that came out of, of, of one of the articles that came out about you recently. Because um, if I'm understanding correctly, your medicine was never seriously on the radar as a career for you um, or even an area of study. You'd, you'd actually been offered a, a law school scholarship, I believe, in high school. Can you talk us through how medicine was able to sort of swoop in and, and steal you away?
0: Yeah, uh, so I got teased quite a lot for that headline, um, <laughs> and I still get stuck in the corridors at the hospital for the accidental doctor, but that's fine. <laughs> but it probably does sum up what happened. Um, like all good stories, I was a boy involved. Um, date night at the time involved helping him study for the UMAT. Right. He wanted to be a doctor. Um, I thought I was going to go to law school. I thought I was going to be some sort of humanitarian rights lawyer and you know change the world and all that stuff that you naively think when you're 15. Um, But I ended up sitting the UMAT because of my English teacher. Uh, Her husband was a doctor um, and she was just a mentor, someone I respected. She had a no BS attitude. She um, really uh, was someone who inspired me because she always followed through um, with everything that she said she would. Um, So if you were naughty in class, it wasn't an idle threat. She would throw (laughs) you out of the classroom. So when she came to me and said you should sit the UMAT exam uh, It's something I took seriously. Um, and I was lucky in that my parents at the time um, were able to financially support me to sit the exam. Um, so it was fairly low risk for me. Um, and I got the score to get, to get in, which um, I think I sort of made a uh, promise to myself that thinking I wouldn't get the score and I wouldn't get in, that uh, it was low risk, I'd just continue with the current plan. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if I did get it, um, I'd just see what happened. Is it something you hadn't thought
1: about
0: at all? Like, No, so no one in my family is a doctor. Yeah. Um, no one really has a science background. Um, and uh, I think, you know, um, as a society, everyone has a general respect for doctors, but um, my parents are still have no idea what I really do day to day. Uh, it still baffles them. Um, <laughs> so, no, not, not really. Um, and when I started med school, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, so it was all this big adventure just to see what happened and um like all good doctors with the you know you always have a plan b you're very risk adverse and I thought it is you know what's the worst that can happen I just change and drop out and do something else so um here I am all these years later
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um get on to some of the other things that you're doing away from the the clinical coalface shortly but for now for our listeners where are you at in you of your clinical career
0: uh, so I'm currently PGY four. Uh-huh. I'm working as a general surgery PHO. So for people not from Queensland, that means an unaccredited registrar. Um, so working uh, in general surgery, but not on the training program. Right. Um, I did my internship at Redcliffe, did a surgical residency at the Royal Brisbane, and now I'm working at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital.
1: Okay. So in learning a little bit about your career in the lead up this interview, I see that you're very very previously you've been quite outspoken about the, the gender imbalance in terms of numbers in, in, in surgery as a specialty um, and how lucky you've been to have some some great female leaders and mentors to look after up to um, during your own training. I mean, would, do you think you would have pursued surgery if you'd not had those women to look up as up to as, as role models? Uh,
0: that's a really interesting question because when I started my surgical path, I didn't actually have those female role models. Um And it was a male mentor who suggested I go to the Sunshine Coast for this job. Uh And part of the reason uh, was because he thought that one of the female surgeons there would be a good mentor for me. Um, And then I turned up at Sunshine Coast, which is this mecca of surgical feminism, basically. I don't think they planned it, (laughs) but um, most of the consultants are female. They're all the surgical directors of um, the departments are all female. Um, And it's certainly this family... Um, orientated culture that you just don't see anywhere else. I mean, for a long time we had the only part time surgical trainees in Australia, um, and it was that idea that you could have children in a family and do the surgical career as well, right. um, and it just wasn't even questioned. Whereas everyone else is debating it, whereas Sunshine Coast is just doing it. Um, so that was something really special. Um, doesn't mean it's easy though, and it doesn't mean, you know, they don't have their issues. Um, and that Sunshine Coast is perfect. Um, but I think it just puts into practice that a lot of these things are achievable, things that um, previously were said that would impact surgical training. Um, you know, the, the idea that you could work one week on, one week off, part-time, just seemed ludicrous to, I guess, these old white men that have previously been our leaders. Um, and yet the head of department for surgery is just making it happen um, with no difficulties. So uh, that's really inspirational to see... Um, and hopefully has changed me for the better moving forward.
1: That that gender imbalance in terms of numbers was that was that something you were you were conscious of? Was it on your own? You said before you didn't really know what to expect when you when you went into your training. Was that something you were conscious of?
0: Um, so as a junior doctor, as a, in terms of and residency, um, the numbers coming out of medical school is overwhelmingly female. You know we're getting up to sixty yeah. percent women to men. Um, so as a junior doctor, you're surrounded by other women, um, and it's it seems pretty balanced. Um, it's only really when you start moving up in your training and then you look around the room and realise um, that it is all men or, or when um, they're having discussions about, oh, you know, the wife at home or the wife sorting out the kids and that those sorts of comments, which I don't think they realise, but um, does sort of set that um, that um, that bias, that unconscious bias that um, you need to have a, for want of a better term, housewife to be a surgeon. Yeah, yeah. Um so that, that's sort of quite disappointing. And I think I didn't really realise... when I um, I was actually quite surprised that you knew about this because these, um, these comments that I made were actually to do with medical leadership and I was right. really interested to see if um, junior uh, doctor societies and, and doctor and training groups had better gender equality than more senior groups mm. um, and... The good news is that they definitely do. Yeah. Um, you're sort of looking at 50-50 in the more junior groups, whereas as you move up, there's really a, a complete lack of female leaders. And um, I guess I was wondering, is that because times are changing, which hopefully is the answer, or is it because these women become disenfranchised or are chased out or simply don't want to engage in this this type of activity? Um, so it's really nice to see um, RAC's commitment to 40% women by 2022. I think it's hugely ambitious... Um, But if they can do it, it'll be incredible. I mean, that will change the face of of surgery. So um, I think just watch this space. It's an exciting time.
1: How about your own role in that? I mean, obviously you're still, you know, early in your your career. Mm. Um, But as you're progressing through, there are are now um, female students um, coming along behind you. What role do you see yourself as that because we can talk i guess in more in depth about your work and the png um, stuff in a moment mm. but obviously there's an area where you're seeing a role for yourself potentially um for helping those students coming up behind you
0: yeah um i guess i i um well i guess i am a, a feminist um in the sense of of believing in gender equality um mm-hmm. But it's not something that I have particularly studied um, or feel uh, overtly confident with. I definitely, um, I love supporting the movements that are happening at the moment, women in medicine, um, but I think, uh, I guess my role is probably more grassroots.
1: I mean, oh, sorry, maybe I'll put it off, a bit, just in, if we can speak more generally mm, even, yeah. um, just mentoring regardless of gender, yeah. those, those people that are coming out behind you. I mean, mm. sound, it seems like you've had a really good experience in terms of, of the support above you. Like, is it something that you wanted, you are conscious of wanting to pass on?
0: Um, Yeah, I think, well, uh, that's just the nature of medicine, I suppose. Mm. You take your Hippocratic Oath and it's that you have to train the next generation. Um, I mean, historically, your mentor in medicine used to have to feed and clothe you and then they took an oath that they'd treat you as their own family. (laughs) Um, So at least we don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) I don't want to feed and clothe my intern. Um, But at the same time, um, I am very mindful, especially at conferences like this. Um, What is your impact as a leader? Um, Because I think... You get uh, so carried away with trying to do your boss's bidding and, and get everything done um, mm. and you just assume that you're bringing these interns along on your journey or these junior doctors um, but trying to be uh, conscious every day about what is the experience that you're giving them um, yeah. what are they getting out of it um, and, and not just that they work for you to make the you know the magic happen on the ward. Um, you know, are they getting good learning experiences? Are they okay? Um, what's happening with the nurses on the ward? Um, and it's, you have to be cognizant of that and actually actively address that. Yeah. Um, I think when I was a junior, I thought that the registrar just magically could do that as part of the job. Um, but now I'm in that role, you realise you have to actively do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't just come naturally. Um, and if you don't think about it, then you can go a couple of days just... Um, you keep churning along trying to get the jobs done and thinking everything's fine. Um, and it's only when things come crashing down that you realise you've been a poor leader. Um, so, in terms of mentoring, um, I think I really want to make sure that my juniors have a positive learning experience um, and not just feel that they're a faceless cog in the, the Queensland health machine um so that, that's what i try to do i'm not sure if I... <laughs> we'll see hopefully will get up. some <laughs> feedback yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, your cv makes pretty interesting reading along with some of the lecturing work that, that you do at the university of queensland you're also a captain in the army reserves um where you deal with um a lot of trauma medicine and, and also some primary health care i understand um You've also worked in Papua New Guinea as part of the Queensland Rural Medical Education placement to, to Western Province, which um, I have I've had to learn this. So it's not something I know that much about, but um, I understand it's one of the most remote regions um, in PNG. And you've done multiple placements there yourself. You've also helped, as we sort of alluded to a moment ago, to orient junior doctors who are heading to PNG as part of that program. At what point in your training did you start looking around for other avenues or opportunities outside of or alongside what you're required to be doing, when did when you start thinking, of, there are some more interesting things I, can, I might be able to do to, 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 to diversify my experience?
0: Um, there probably wasn't uh, a key moment, I suppose. I think... Um it was one of those things where uh, I guess maybe I have FOMO, I don't want opportunities to pass me by. Um, so it's not me actively seeking out opportunities, it's um, seeing things come up or that advertised advertiser or someone tells me about and saying, hey, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just going with it. Um, I'm a big yes person though. One of my um, weaknesses is my inability to say no a lot of the time, um, which... Uh, I think drives my friends and family crazy, but means that I've had all these amazing experiences that aren't on the traditional surgical pathway. Um, So I think it was just trying to figure out how I could have it, uh, have all the things I wanted to do. Um, And it's a tricky thing to balance all of that, Um, but I think you find the time for things you're passionate for. Um, So I didn't actively pursue... Um, an alternative career uh, career path, but um, it was just realizing what I wanted um, and then trying to make it all fit I think
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean had you always had an interest in, in aid work and and, and, and outreach of that kind of stuff or what what was your what was the attraction with?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, so as a kid i I mean as Australian society where we're really generous and caring and we do care about our neighbor and uh, I think, overall we're, we're fairly altruistic people as a community um and as a kid um you know I loved all that 40-hour famine I was in social responsibility club I was a big nerd um and yeah I, I did love all that sort of stuff and I studied French in high school because as a 13 year old I thought it was really easy to get jobs with the UN like <laughs> there's heaps of those right um and yeah I think my parents were terrified that I was going to run away to the middle of Africa chasing down warlords and doing all this sort of aid work, and um, they, they, I think, they wanted to support me, but they were sort of terrified, yeah. so um, when I got into med school, I think they were relieved that I would be trapped on this training pathway and be safe and sound in Australia, yep. um, and, you know, what could go wrong? Um, and... Uh, it wasn't until final year when you can do a medical elective that I think they started to get a little bit concerned <laughs> um, and originally I'd planned to go to Russia to study on my medical elective um, but things didn't quite go to plan there um, due to political reasons um, and my parents were delighted when I came home and said I'm not going to Russia, I'm actually going three hours away uh, so we're really close uh, <laughs> quick three hour journey and they're like great, is it like you know, Northern New South Wales. Is it yeah. like Toowoomba? That sounds awesome. I'm like, no, no. It's just PNG. <laughs> um, so yeah, my my mum worries every time I go I go there or every time um, I do any of this humanitarian work. But I think overall they understand why. Um, so um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a really bleeding heart, lovey dovey type person, um, but. I think there's real inherent value in that service, um, and it really speaks to me. Um, and uh, I know, it, it, obviously, with volunteering, you're you're there to provide that service, but um, you do get a lot out of it yourself. I mean, it, it's truly a transformational experience, um, and I love it, and that's why I keep going. So,
1: what were your expectations going into the first time on your first trip over there? Did you know what to expect?
0: No, no. So. Um, because I hadn't planned to go to PNG, I hadn't really researched it, which I don't <laughs> recommend. Um, but I had no idea what to expect, um, and everything I read was sort of about Port Moresby. Um, even the Lonely Planet guide to PNG, there's <laughs> so it's very thin. They actually combine with the Solomon Islands because <laughs> um, the tourism industry a, in PNG is still expanding. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, it's not um, the, the sort of common place to go. Uh, so you read all this terrifying stuff about Port Moresby and wonder what you've signed yourself up to. Um, and then you get there um, and I had never worked in a low-middle-income country before um, and my first day was a big culture shock. Um, I mean, there's rubbish on the side of the road, people burning their rubbish and, you know, walking around with big bush knives um, and because you don't know anyone, it looks very menacing. Right. And, you know, the water's constantly dripping in the hospital, so everything is rusting and stained. And um, it, when I first got there, I, I was pretty shocked and I wondered what I'd done. Um, but then, you know, PNG as a, a country is overwhelmingly um, generous and warm and welcoming, um, and that's when you start to realise, well, actually, the bush knives to cut the grass, and yeah. it's not a big machete, it's actually, you know, a gardening tool. And, yeah. It's, um, you know, stuff's rusty because it rains. It's, it's the most rainfall in the world. It rains 10 metres there annually. I mean, they just can't avoid it. Yeah. And actually the nurses scrub the place as well as they can. It's just that it's a h- super busy clinic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hugely overburdened, and there's just no way to g- avoid the, the staining <laughs> and the, the wear and tear. Um, so when you actively start working and realise that stuff, it feels a lot more homely.
1: And no so. doubt there's, there's quite a lot of support there for, for you as a, as a junior doctor going over there um is is from from within the program there'd be there be people there that sort of you're not there completely by yourself are you
0: yeah um i mean and that's part of the role i do with the program because uh, i was the second group to go so it's been going for five years now um and the support we give the students now uh, is much more structured um, and, and ingrained into the program. I mean, when
1: is that based a lot on your experience of yourself and the yeah. those people that have been in the program with you? Yes. Yeah. And,
0: and I guess the natural progression of any program, I you know, think, oh, improve exactly, as yeah. it's sustained. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been really nice to see that, hopefully a better experience for students. Um, and also the changes the hospital has undergone. Now it's a, a teaching hospital of, of Griffith University, Um is sort of getting that recognition and, and having those health workers heard, um, supporting them in education programs. Um, is, is actually been remarkable to see the difference in the accountability of the staff, their attitude towards work and the actual facility itself. Um, so that's been a really cool thing to see over the last five years. I was going
1: to ask you what makes you keep going back. I, I guess it's, it sounds like it's that sense of continuity and being yeah. a part of something that really is visibly making a difference every time yeah. you go back.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you nailed, nailed it there. And, and also, you know, you make friends, you make connections with these people. And um, I'm a big believer um, that, like I said, it's three hours away, it's less than four kilometres between North Queensland and PNG. Um, I mean for a long time, rightly or wrongly, we administered PNG. We, uh, it, it was part of our country, of <laughs> Australia. Um, and after their independence, I think uh, the Australian mindset was to wash our hands of PNG. I mean we don't see it in our news, I don't think we think about PNG very regularly. Um, And yet Australian culture um, and Australian political decisions are huge to them. Like, it's in their news. They think about um, what our Prime Minister says um, Uh quite regularly. Um, They have interest in our opinions and what we're doing. So um, this idea that our medical colleagues are over there trying to provide the best patient care they can, um, literally a stone's throw away, um, I, I feel we have an obligation to have that professional connection. Um, so I think that's what really keeps me going back um, is trying to foster that um, and, and connect those medical communities.
1: Now, were there, in the times that you've spent, you know, the amount of times that you spent over there, 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 were there any sort of particular experiences that have stuck with you that have really sort of impacted you or, or changed you, Think or, or you, that you've learned a lot from?
0: Um, yes, um, and... and um, I was sort of anticipating that you'd ask me this question and <laughs> there's both good and bad experiences that come to mind. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the bad ones are probably pretty predictable. You know, the kids dying of malnutrition, um, you know, your failed paediatric resources, your failed neonatal resources, um telling someone with something that's curable in Australia that's likely palliative because you know the resources that they yeah, have in PNG. Sure, sure. Um, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, delivering twins in the middle of the bush with... You know, all you've got is your gloves and some, uh, t- you know, sterile piece of plastic and a bit of string and yet two beautiful twins pop out and you're like, oh. Um, that sort of <laughs> stuff is just incredible. Um, and uh, going to communities that... Um, you know, people live their entire lives never seeing a doctor or even understanding what a doctor really does. Um, so when you turn off of those communities uh, doing your vaccination patrols and your public health awareness and education and um, collecting that epidemiological data, um, it's a huge thing to that community that they're being acknowledged and heard um, and that someone is aware of their struggles um, and wants to connect with them um and you you do feel like a bit of a celebrity (laughs) like it's kind of cool i guess you're a
1: popular person when you're there well yeah Yeah. you're like
0: and usually you're the first white person maybe ever to go to this place like i've i've had situations where i've trekked for like nine hours in the mud you know and you're falling over and they're all laughing at you like this silly white woman that can't you know climb a coconut tree and (laughs) climb up this rock wall to get to this village um so when you get there it's that satisfaction like you you really have to work hard (laughs) to get there um but it's all worth it because uh, people are just so grateful. Um, and, and even if all you're doing is like vaccinating their kids against measles and leaving, something we take for granted here in Australia that's our fundamental right um, is, is a huge thing to them. So I think being able to make that small difference um, keeps you going back. Uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's almost a little bit addicting. You're like, well, what about the next village? Yeah. What about the one after yeah. that? Like, How far can we push this? Yeah, exactly. Um, so,
1: yeah. No, no doubt... In- we I think we mentioned before you you invent, you're involved with the army reserve. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your work with with those with those guys because obviously it seems to be quite different than, than a lot of stuff we've just been talking about in your in your role there and also um, as I understand it the, the hierarchy as well that. that the, the way where doctors sit um, I was speaking to Michael Bonning um, in a previous interview I'd done he's he spent a lot of years in working with the navy and it's sort of is very interesting to hear his perspectives on where doctors actually sit and mm-hmm. there are certain points where you're very important but other times when you're very much um, off to one side and, and until you you can be useful I just wanted Within the Army Reserve, you're still going to be seeing some some incredibly amazing things. Are you, do you get many opportunities to, to travel or are you, are you mostly, mostly based here in Australia?
0: Um, I'm mostly based here in Australia. Um, and as Michael probably told you, you really have to earn your stripes yeah. to get those deployments. Um, I uh, was recruited at a time when Australia was very active overseas um, and they desperately needed doctors. Uh, so I sort of felt I had an obligation to answer the call. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then... Um, which is a good thing, um, that that conflict has scaled back um, and they don't really need um, as many of us deployed. Um, So currently I'm working with an infantry unit in South East Queensland, um, which is a very cool experience um, seeing a whole group of people who are passionate about serving their country, putting their life on the line if required. Um, But, uh, yeah, it is a bit surreal um, as a doctor in that setting and certainly an ethical minefield, sort of balancing that humanitarian and military physician yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, heaps of cool experiences that you just wouldn't get if you if you weren't involved with the military um, and they're hugely respectful. Um, I mean, I'm the, the only woman there and then there's... The percentage of women in the army is less than the percentage of women in surgery. Right. Um, so you feel that quite keenly um, and I sort of feel that obligation to be the best... Officer, um, I can be to set set that um, precedent. I guess. Um. For, for females in the army as well. Um, but, yeah, I, unfortunately I'm probably going to disappoint you a little bit. All I really see in the army is coughs, and sore <laughs> holes. Uh, don't know do anything that's too exciting, exciting I mean, yet, I'm, sure, but... I'm sure
1: it still sounds like there's a, 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 a huge transition though because, I mean, yeah. it's a completely different
0: world. Yes, and, and that's um, it's probably a bit selfish of me in that I kind of enjoy that because, I mean, I go to work every day and I do general surgery, but when I go to the army, um, it's sort of that almost going back to more of a junior level, but seeing stuff that I don't do in my day job. Mm. Um, So it's kind of really nice um, to, you know... ED doctors are probably cringe, but I kind of enjoy seeing the sprained ankles and the sore throats and um, dealing with those types of situations. Um, But it also opens up to healthcare planning, which we don't get a lot of in medicine either. So um, whenever the army's going to do any training or go anywhere, uh, doctors are involved in the health support planning. Um, So... Being exposed to that has been really cool as well, and saying, well, what is the risk that someone will get hurt? How do we calculate that? How do we work out how risky this type of stuff is? And once I've done that, um, what is the healthcare need? What, what resources do we need to take yeah, there? Because you can't sure. take the whole hospital no, no, no. outfield with you. Um, I'm usually carrying everything that I need. So I have to work out, well, if I can only carry 30 kilos, <laughs> I have to work out what's the most yeah. important 30 kilos for these hundred guys going out into the middle of the bush. Um, so that's been really cool from that perspective because, you know, you just don't get taught that in medical school.
1: Even if you're still parenting it down as much as it, the 30 kilo, for 30 kilos, a lot of just to be carting around. I mean, does yeah. is, is that, is that boot camp really help you with your, with your fitness? Is that oh, something that, what was, what was that like?
0: Yeah, um, I actually really love it because I find this I find it so strange in medicine that we tell all our patients to live this healthy lifestyle and exercise for 30 minutes a day and, you know, eat well, but I don't think there's many doctors who can fit in that daily exercise. Um, So it's really given me more motivation um, to practice what I preach and try and keep that fitness going. Um, And then also the pride element. I mean, um, with infantry, I'm dealing with some really fit guys um, and trying to, you know keep up with them um as what, well. what are the
1: physical requirements though i mean aside from you know wanting to to, to keep up are there i, I imagine there would be some fairly like given the, the areas that you're potentially going to be sent to um, if, if um so
0: for on for an in-base doctor it's actually not too strenuous, it's not too strenuous? <laughs> so yeah it's um 20 push-ups 100 sit-ups and you have to run a 2.4k in a time based on your right, age right okay um, so, I mean, it's achievable. So, if anyone out like there's don't, don't be well, deterred it's not by that, yeah, the Yeah, well,
1: it's not that I'm trying to scare everybody off. Yeah. Or, 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 um, or it was more like, because that's what this is about, is giving people a bit of a, a, a sense yeah, of what it's like yeah. to do some of these things. And so, if, that's, if, if that sounds a lot more achievable than, than, yeah. than a lot of the myths around sort of angry drill sergeants. Yeah. Oh. yeah yelling no, at you for holding no. everybody as up. A, as
0: a doctor, you have this very, <laughs> like... Um, it's a cotton padded life where the ser- sergeants are very polite to you and, and assist you. I think. <laughs> um, I think it's even, you know maybe because one day they might get injured and they don't want you to remember the screaming <laughs> they, and the they, shouting they drill. Mind that, that was yeah,
1: at that point.
0: exactly. Um, obviously, the fitness standards are a lot higher for the guys in combat roles, but um, as doctors, it's certainly achievable. Um, so, yeah, anyone out there thinking about it? <laughs>
1: How about your your managers at work? Have they been supportive of you? Because the, the, obviously, there's a lot of time involved in. in... That pursuit?
0: It's uh, a really good question. Um, I sort of hid my extracurricular activities a lot at work in the beginning uh, as a junior doctor. Um, Is that because you're
1: concerned that I've spoken to other doctors, that, yeah. that there's a real fear among some people that they're not going to be taken seriously. If they, if they don't feel, or if their managers don't see them as putting all of their time and energy into what they want them to be doing, then yeah. they're going to, yeah, because of the competitive nature, they're going to start to lose out
0: absolutely um i was scared of that like that's really a huge part of it um and i had a couple of mentors who found out what i was doing and said things to me like um well all that's very cute but you know what's that got you with surgery um or um you know that that's all well and good but uh, now you need to focus on surgery so that's that's all that done and you're like isn't <laughs> I don't feel like that's done that's not finished yet um so and, and that's when people that you respect and you don't expect to say things like that so that mm. um really shocked me um and I think I was almost a little bit ashamed that I had these desires to do stuff that um wasn't seen as um, appropriate. Yeah. yeah um why are surgical registers interested in malaria and tv um can give you a whole raft of surgical complications from those things that are relevant. But um, yeah, and then it wasn't actually until I was on the border of Western Province and West Papua um, where I met, so um, there's not very many white girls wandering around the PNG rainforest, Uh, so if if another white person Um, comes along... That's a huge surprise to me. Yeah, I know, crazy. (laughs) Um, Usually they want to chat to you. And I was there in this remote location and I met this guy who was a surgical registrar who was doing this six-month placement in public health and tropical medicine. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. it just totally shocked me. And um, probably testament to the surgical ego um, that he just was like, couldn't find any reason why this should be shocking. Like, yeah. obviously, why, you know, why, why wouldn't, wouldn't I he be here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is just quite funny in itself. But anyway, um, and I just started thinking, I was like, you know, uh, like why am I um, why am I hiding this? You know, if this is important to me and I actually want to do this, I probably need to speak up. Um, and I'm entitled to my leave. And um, if the surgical program doesn't want me with all these other bits attached, I'll find then someone else does. Well, well, yeah, maybe the surgical program's not for me. I mean, I love surgery and I want to be a surgeon. Um, that's very clear to me. But at the same time, if the college doesn't respect that, then maybe I don't belong there. Yeah. so... Well,
1: hopefully they see it your way. Hopefully, <laughs> um, uh, in October last year, you were named the AMA's Doctor in Training of the Year. Um, it's a, obviously a huge honour, and, and congratulations on on that recognition. For obviously, it's you know these these things are great, but they come from a lot of hard work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what does an award like that mean to you? That kind of recognition mean to you?
0: Um, so it was actually punishment for my friends and Brian Fernandez, who was responsible for dogging me in for that, they got <laughs> You didn't sick even know
1: you were, you were, you were nominated?
0: <laughs> well, they, they told me in the end, but I think they just got sick of me asking them f- to uh, fundraise for crazy stuff, get all sorts of weird and wonderful medical donations, um, constantly going on about this puppet, you know, PNG place um, just <laughs> north of Australia. Um, and yeah, that was my punishment. They nominated me for this award. Um, but that being said, I mean, uh, there's so many incredible junior doctors out there. Um, so, you know, there's heaps of people that, that deserve that award, but, um, it was just a really nice thing. I think a confidence boost to me that, um, I was doing something that my peers actually thought was valuable, um, and respected, um, which, uh, Like we've just discussed, I mean, previously I was hiding a lot of this stuff from people. Um, So all of a sudden it gave me that confidence to be like, well, you know, I I am going to post on social media about things I'm passionate about, about tropical medicine. I'm going to start talking to people about this. I want to get the word out there. Um, And, you know, you're always scared about, oh, what are people going to think? And I think getting that award was like... um, you know, validation. Yeah, obviously not everyone's going to agree with me, no, no, but, but maybe I have something valid to yeah. say, and maybe I have something to contribute to the discussion. And maybe,
1: maybe the the the, yeah. the, the, the profession is not quite as stuffy and, yeah, <laughs> and conservative yeah. as, as it might there's have seemed.
0: Someone out there who thinks I'm doing a good job, <laughs> so um, I'm going to start um, you know promoting this a bit more and see what happens. Um,
1: yeah. Can we talk a bit, a little bit more? You you touched on the, the fundraising. fundraising. Um, sounds like you've been doing a lot of fundraising for for the PNG programs but are there other things that you've been, been involved with as well in terms of trying to trying to wrangle some, some dollars for, for some good causes
0: um yes so usually through other charities and other groups uh-huh. um and uh usually if there's particular things um but do you mean in a png perspective or do you well, mean, I mean
1: broadly? yeah broadly i mean what's op- open open sort of question what what it sounds like I mean you. you talked before about your know, that sense of obligation that you feel for, about you know social social justice, yep. um, and and doing the best for for those who, who are vulnerable perhaps. Yep. Um, what 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 sort of fundraising things have you been involved with, and what are the causes being like that, that are attached to those?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, maybe I'm more of a bleeding heart than I'm <laughs> um, A lot of stuff is um, aimed at the South Pacific, um, like. Uh, I mean, a lot of the health problems you see um, in rural Australia and the South Pacific um, aren't really health or medical problems. They're usually because of infrastructure, uh, agriculture, uh, engineering. Um, So there's broader sort of social aspects to a lot of these things. Um, So... I've been quite involved in um, trying to... Not not at an organisational level, but just personal fundraising, uh, mm. a lot of domestic violence and sorcery-related violence in the South Pacific. That's something that's important to me. Um, you know, there's, there's so much illness and harm going around already that uh, people are inflicting harm on each other because of these beliefs. Um, it's just awful to me, and it's usually vulnerable women and children. So sure. um, people that don't have a voice. Um, so trying to... Uh, support those groups that are creating safe houses um, and and places that these women can go um, is hugely important to me. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, <laughs> I think this is just me spending my wages on whatever good cause sort of comes up <laughs> at the time. Um, and that's the problem. you start getting involved in this. Um, you get contacted by a lot of people um, and everyone... Uh, People do have massive hearts, and there's a lot of great groups out there doing a great, a lot of great work. Uh, but you can start to spread yourself then. Yes. So, I'm trying to focus a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say. I mean, if you, if it sort of starts to answer the next question I was going to ask you. I mean, in terms of further diversifying your career. I mean, obviously, as we said, it's early days, and you've got um, a lot on your plate already. What do you see as being the? You, you, but you also seem quite happy as long as you can balance those things mm. you seem quite happy to be able to do you what, what do you see yourself in the future as sort of um what sort of roles where you might you be interested in
0: that's a really tricky question um i i want some clinical medicine involved in my practice and some surgical um practice but at the same time um you know you can see the benefit of larger public health projects uh-huh. about to influence policy and procedure um Changes the lives of many patients compared to just the one in front of you, um, and uh, I also spoken about this idea. Um, I sort of I, I hate medicine and medical volunteering being seen as charity. I I think we have this obligation as global citizens mm. to um, support patients that just just because they weren't lucky enough to be born in this great country of Australia doesn't mean they deserve substandard healthcare. Um, and, you know, if we start seeing things as an act of charity, that sort of um, justifies providing a lower standard of care. Um, so seeing people as global citizens, as a valid doctor-patient relationship and trying to give the highest standard of care possible. And I mean, um, I think humanitarian work, uh, especially in a medical uh, sphere, has hugely expanded over the last 20 years. And I think there's going to be a big role in trying to... Um, uh, I guess um, oversee that a lot more um, who's responsible for all that who do people answer to who keeps a, a ethical standard um, and that sort of work uh, really interests me as well um, so I guess it's going to be watch this space and see what <laughs> happens
1: <laughs> one last question before I let you go obviously CCO, creative careers in medicine it's all about having a network in which doctors can encourage and support one another to do all kinds of interesting things like some of the stuff that that we've talked about that you that you've been doing today um what advice would you give to to doctors who might be interested in getting involved in whether it's foreign medical aid work or or even joining the army reserves um and getting involved in some of the some of the stuff that you've been what what advice would you have
0: <laughs> um you should just do a nike and just do it <laughs> um, i think we're so fearful in medicine of, of stepping off the traditional path because that's what those before us did. Um, and respecting our four persons is, is such a big part of medicine. You know, you do what your boss tells you, and, and you. Um, they teach you their method, and then you teach your juniors the method. Like that, that's uh, that seems to be the way. Um, so I think um, just realizing that the world will not end if you go and do something else. That's fine. Um, and the worst thing that can happen is you go back to being a doctor. Um, I mean, in in terms of uh, low risk options, that's incredible. Like, yeah. This job we do every day is a, is a total blessing. It's such an interesting career. Um, and yes, it's hard work, but uh, you know, overall, it's pretty amazing. So An incredible um,
1: launch pad potentially to, Yeah, to just yeah. What so
0: if you want to go and do stuff, if you want to do humanitarian work, if you're interested in military medicine, I mean, what have you got to lose? Sign up. If it's not for you,
1: you'll find drop out, out. quickly. Go yeah. back
0: to clinical medicine. I mean, it's not. Yeah, the the plan B is pretty awesome. Um, so I reckon, just give it a shot. Because is that a mindset? Because obviously,
1: you're, you're a younger doctor. Is that a mindset that, that you think is sort of becoming more prevalent?
0: I think so. I, I, well, because when you start as an, as an intern and junior doctor, that's probably when you're most fearful yeah. um, of stepping off the pathway. Um, and it's been a big mind change for me, probably the last 12 months, is the. Um, but to give some context, I. I haven't passed my GSSE. I've Uh had an unsuccessful attempt. um, And that was a bump in the road that I didn't anticipate. I thought I'd pass that, get on the surgical training program, become a surgeon, and the rest is history. Um, And when I didn't pass that, I was devastated. Uh, But the world didn't end. I still had a job. I still had money in my bank account. Uh, the sun was still shining. Um, and the world was still pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that realisation that, oh, hold on. like <laughs> Maybe I drank the Kool-Aid. Maybe there's something <laughs> else out there. Um, and, yeah, uh, so I think you do need to have a little bit under your belt to have that confidence to step off the pathway. Um, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not telling interns to run away and join the circus if that's what they want to do. Like, maybe get your internship first. Yeah. Um, but just remember that, you know, if it takes you a bit longer, that's okay. Um, and the job we do is really important and special. Um, and being a junior doctor is, is not the worst thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually pretty incredible. So if you want to go do something, if you want to try something out, even if it doesn't work, even if it doesn't go to plan, you can still always do that junior doctor role and, and be pretty amazing at it. So
1: just do it great advice thank you so much Michaela Seymour
0: no drama thanks
1: for having me another huge thanks to Michaela Seymour for being part of the CCIM podcast I'm sure everyone listening will join me in wishing her all the best as she heads off to tackle this huge community health challenge in PNG As I mentioned at the top, this episode of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast was brought to you by The Private Practice. Private Practice provides business and financial education training for healthcare professionals at each stage of your practice and personal life. Whether you're transitioning into private practice, seeking strategies for growth, or planning a successful succession or retirement, you can find out more by visiting their website www.theprivatepractice.com.au. We've got a number of great interviews coming up for this, our second year of the podcast. So please stay tuned. And of course, if you're not already part of the Creative Careers in Medicine community, you can join in on all the discussions via the Facebook page. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. Thank you for listening.